Hello. Hiya. Hello. I know. What a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence. Um, how have you been? Oh, Sarita. So oh, the week was going great. And then yesterday yeah. I heard the news. <gasps> oh. um, Do you know what news I'm talking about? Remind me. Uh, the fact that I'm not wearing makeup today because no. I left my makeup at the um, <gasps> theatre. No, that's, yeah, pretty, no, that's pretty big news, that's... but not that news. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, okay. So, my news that devastated my evening yesterday was that what? Kaz and Tyler from Love Island split up. <gasps> I mean... <laughs> so... Condolences, obviously, because you're very upset. I'm pouring liquor, However, yeah. I mean, I don't know who they are. I didn't watch it, see. Girl. I didn't watch it. So I was rooting for this black love off of Love Island. I was rooting. Mm. They were mm. the first black couple to make it to a Love Island final. And I oh, thought, wow. and I talked about Kaz, because Kaz is making her shmoney um independently yeah so i talked about her a few weeks ago and i just love them together but now they're no more and i'm a little bit broken hearted but, but see mm. how old are they what's that got like that, well that? because well no look listen mm. right they're in their i'm assuming early no, 20s no see well they're not early no, 20s going on the show like 27 i think Come on, that's still early 20s. Mm, it's kind of late 20s, but anyway. All right. Mm. But as I said to my children, the 20s, mm. yeah, you date. You have fun. Mm. Just have fun, man. You don't need to settle down your 20s. Mm. You meet, you date, you have fun. If they're really meant to be, they can come back together in... I'm going to do the maths here. 27, 29, mm-hmm. 30. Eight years. Eight years. Yeah, eight years. much. Why wait? No. Why wait? Anyway. Because they've got empires to build, see. You yourself said she is doing well on her mm. own. Don't know what he's mm. doing. Um, so well. Lounging, probably going to gym. <laughs> yeah. um, looking pretty, getting facials, as guys do nowadays. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still a little bit devastated. Yes, of course, for celebration. Come on. Wow. Celebrate her. Oh, my goodness. I'll always celebrate, celebrate her. Celebrate I've got her back always but i am a little bit like r.i.p their love (laughs) r.i.p okay well besides that um yeah like i said r.i.p i'm very um um sad for you Mm -hmm. okay thank you you know i appreciate that um but um other than that the week's week's been not too bad really just um yeah nothing much to report just uh the huge covid uh, black love breaking (laughs) breaking up yeah i say nothing much to report it's same old same old yeah so um just worrying about what's gonna happen over christmas um now that we are in plan b armageddon (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but apart from that, yeah, nothing much. Unlike you, who's had a whole week of exciting stuff going on, I need to hear about <laughs> how Jack and the Beanstalk's been. <laughs> Come on. Um, oh, do you know what? I'm actually exhausted. Um, 
I don't know how you thespians do this every single day, day in, day out. Um, no, it's been... You know what? I've actually... I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Good. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm doing grown-up yeah. things with grown-up people. Yeah. Um, basically playing, <laughs> as you do, as I do. No, it's been really fun. I'm so happy I actually did it because it was on my um, to-do list before I turned 40, mm. the big 4-0. Um, it was like a personal challenge because I think in terms of like public speaking and stuff like that being on stage that was my ultimate like oh my god fear factor mm. like let me just puke now <laughs> get over and done with then die then be resurrected to just die all over again because you're still on stage <laughs> you, didn't. you did it you smashed no it. I haven't you remembered your line well um there was one day, because um, my character speaks to the audience, mm-hmm. so um, I have to ham it up and try and get laughs. <laughs> and I unexpectedly got more laughs yeah. at that particular time. Yeah, so it kind of threw me. I was like, what is going My brain freaked okay. out. And then I just went blank. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. Because my that, that last sentence that I forgot is actually the cue for everybody <laughs> else to get off stage. Right, okay. So it's kind of important that I knew yeah, that. yeah. And I completely went blank. So I was like, oh. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh. looking at you. Uh, what, yeah, uh. look at me. And then I had a whisper from backstage. <laughs> and I was like, ah, <laughs> but In my head, obviously that lasted 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was probably like all in the space of like five yeah, seconds. And it was okay. That. Yeah, but that kind of just pushed me to... Um, yeah, just try even harder mm. and put in 110%. Mm. Um, yeah, and since then it's been fun. And it's like I've kind of just reminded myself, reminded myself just to relax. Just that's to it. enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Yeah, because I've only got today and tomorrow. Tomorrow is, um, we've got two performances tomorrow. And my sister's coming and, the, um, and a friend in the first mm-hmm. one. And then the last one, that's when Danny and the kids are coming. Mm-hmm. So they best not put me off, man. I'm just going to divert my mm-hmm. eyes. Can you see the audience then? That's the funny thing. So I purposely don't look at the mm-hmm. audience, anyone that's listening who came in. Apologies <laughs> if you're trying to get my eyeline. No, um, not ready yet. No. Um, no, but it's good because there's so many... Um, lights on mm-hmm. you because i don't wear my glasses or my contacts um i just make out shapes if i really <laughs> wanted to i could see the front row right um but because of covid i can't get too close you see so um, it's actually a bonus mm. that's another thing actually because these new restrictions mm. all these plan b restrictions have meant that theaters you have to wear face masks in them yes now, right? yes so before i think last week I think it was just the front two rows that we asked to wear mm-hmm. masks but now i think they're asking everyone to mm. wear masks yeah so so you won't yeah, be able to see them anyway even if you could see them i could see their eyes oh, I could see, if they had a mask that covered their eyes mask. <laughs> uh, yeah that would be the best mm. like just don't show me your eyes people mm. just wear two eye what are they called eye patches <laughs> So they can't see like you, you can't see them, it's right. all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, really, that's my room. Oh, that's my nice, room. Nice, nice. Mm. got a guest our first guest on our last um show of the year <gasps> how fun how fun i know who is this guest sarita pray tell so we have natalie lou who is an amazing amazing person i'm gonna let her in the room and then introduce her because she's waiting patiently Yay. i'm just imagining that we've got some fancy waiting room um <laughs> piping some music like- in there yeah. yeah right pink leather mm-hmm. seat black leather mm-hmm. seat very us yeah yes we've got some afro beats and then some cardi b comes on too mm-hmm. french afro beats french now? yeah we could do that we could do that yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome yeah. right. piano i'm a bit into that at the moment south african so yeah good. you're so cultural well thank you for appreciating so thank you right Let's let her in. Um, let's see if this this works. <laughs> oh, hey, working. she's Hello. in. Hello. Let me just make sure I put my phone on. Do not disturb. Natalie Lou, um, writer, podcaster, speaker, and artist, and you help people pleasers, perfectionists, and relationship strugglers overcome their emotional baggage so they can become more of who they really are which is obviously um amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> in itself <laughs> how long have you been doing that um i have been doing that i think for just over 16 years with baggage reclaim oh wow wow and how many people yeah. do you think you touched in that time <laughs> well mm. i started out yeah. with a mission of <laughs> if I could help at least one person avoid what I had been through, mm. or I could help them get mm. out of a situation. And I've helped out of a lot more than one. I mean, you know, over the years, you know, there's many hundreds of thousands of people who have, mm. have read the blog. I mean, some of my posts have been read, you know, several million times, <gasps> type of thing. Wow. Incredible. So, Gosh. So it's it, just it helping the whole touched. world. Yeah, well, you wow. know, baggage retainers read, I think, in over 140 countries or something like that, so wowzers oh my gosh how does that feel do you know it most of the time i don't think about it and then you know often it's probably when like somebody's asking you know about your not your stats but like oh so what's the deal with your blog and stuff and then you suddenly go Mm. yeah like actually it's really like i'm amazed when i hear from somebody you know from some far far flung place yeah. people who say i live in such and such a country and we're technically not allowed to access your site here but oh. you know this is saving Aww. my life type of thing oh man um, yeah and I, I enjoy meeting people like in in america like particularly in new york i tend to get recognized there which i always find quite amusing wow um i literally stop like in the street or wow. in, the, in department stores type of thing which is always quite funny oh my and, gosh uh, so you're like Beyonce. You're you're basically like oh, Beyonce. I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> oh, 
Amazing. Okay, so in terms of... (laughs) (laughs) Well, soon, soon. Manifest that. It's coming. (laughs) After 16... Year 17 is when the Beyonce money starts coming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in terms of um, women who rebrand, before the 16 years, what were you doing? What were you doing before Baggage Reclaim? Aside from having shitty taste in in men and relationships, I worked in advertising um, back in the day. So I went back to university when I was uh, 23, I think. I think it was 23. When I moved over to London, that was beginning of 2001. Mm -hmm. And so I came over to, um, I went back to uni and I, I basically joined in on year one of a product design degree, product design and design and technology. And, um, after graduating, I realized ain't no money in design. <laughs> and there was no way that I was going to work. I think at that point they were saying it was something like nine to 11 grand. Can you imagine working for nine to 11 grand oh in London? Gosh. No. So I already had wow. experience working in advertising because um, in between when I was back home in Dublin and Ireland, I had worked at a radio station. So I'd done quite a few different jobs there and that has sort of introduced me to working sort of in media companies Mm. and I'd worked for um and it's golden pages in Ireland it's yellow pages here so I'd worked for them and so it Mm. was kind of like an easy fit to go back into advertising but funny enough I actually had the opportunity to use my sort of design skills there or my design knowledge with clients and stuff so Mm. I worked on both the agency and client side which was quite unusual as well because people Mm. tended to be either you worked with agencies or clients but I did both wow and I just heard you say Dublin Ireland I was trying to place your accent and it's I I can hear it now you've said it that you do have that Irish accent so you were born there raised there like how long were you there born in born in Wolverhampton and then my mom married my stepfather I think when I was like six or seven so we lived in Carlisle up north for about six months Uh and then moved to Zambia for a couple of years uh, because that's where he had a job working. And then he got another contract in Dublin, which was, I think, was supposed to be for like two or three years. And I just we just stayed. So I was there from age 10 and I still call it home. And we had a family home there until I was 28, 28, 29, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But I still call it home. And I've been trying to kind of trick my mom into getting a family home again there. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So would you ever get a family home there? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, like we've been talking about, oh, when, when we have that sort of, you know, extra home kind of money, it's like, yeah, let's get a holiday home in, in Ireland type of thing. Beyonce money. Beyonce <laughs> yeah, Beyonce money. money. It's <laughs> coming. It's coming. So then oh. you, um, you launched Baggage Reclaim after moving away mm. from the advertising world. And you, you oh, st- no, I was still oh. in advertising. Ah. Yeah, no, I, I've actually been blogging for about 17 and a half years. Uh-huh. And I started off with a personal blog, which was called Tired of Men and Other Things That Drive a 20-something <laughs> Around a Twist. And, it was a uh, snappy, snappy <laughs> title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I started it after a bad date. And okay. I... Uh, basically, taking taking me to a cheap Mexican place, and I had bubble guts, 
in the middle of the night so I couldn't sleep. And I remembered an article that I'd read about blogging. And 10 minutes later, I had a blog. It was about 4 or 5 a.m., early June 2004. And I started the blog because I was really frustrated with myself. And I was Mm. like, you say that you want to be with a nice guy. You say you want to be in a relationship. But you go out with the so-called nice guy like this one and you're bored out of your mind type of thing. So Mm. I I, I used the blog really to reflect on when I said I was tired of men, I was really more tired of, of, of myself and my antics. And so mm. I, I moaned about my co-workers. I, I, I used to work for a guy who was like David Brent or the guy from the office US. Mm-hmm. And, oh. Yeah, but like time and they, yeah. yeah, like really oh. intense. So it made good um, entertainment. And so I talked about... You know, try, you know, trying to date, living in London, commuting mm. with the great unwashed, you know, family <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and I did that. Um, it was a personal blog and pretty much immediately I had readers. And at one stage, I remember having something like over 10,000 readers a month. And oh I would my. sometimes get featured wow. in like the Metro. No, 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 there was there was the Metro and there was another the London Light. There was like a uh, uh, I another remember that. paper that used to come out. Yeah. Yeah, so they used to feature my blog um, in there. But I was anonymous for the first two years that I was blogging. Mm. And oh. I think because of my uh, Irish ways, mm-hmm. people assumed that I was a pale, red-haired uh, <laughs> woman. And then I was outed. Well, I say outed, but the Daily Express um, approached me about in, in, to interview me about blogging. Well, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think anybody read the Daily Express. So <laughs> I didn't have a problem doing the interview. No offense to anybody who reads the Daily Express, by the way, <laughs> but I didn't think anybody read it, which was a flaw in the plan because by the time I got to work at 9 a.m., everybody in the entire building knew about. <gasps> the blog. Thankfully, I had had the oh my God. just on to do a little bit of tweaking in advance, mm. just in case. But everybody at the office knew, um, clients knew, like you're talking about like your sort of your Hewlett Packards and your IBM, like it was kind of like, because I worked for like wow. the biggest IT publisher in the UK and in Europe, actually. And I worked on the biggest computer magazine in the country at the time. And uh, yeah, so it kind of traveled around, made its way, like I'd say, to some exes, made its way to somebody else who I'd written about her party when she'd had Blue Nun. Why now? And I'd made a comment about, like, how are you serving Blue Nun? <laughs> she stopped talking to me. Oh, my God! Oh, immediately, she no. must have gone straight on there and gone straight to look to see if I'd made any reference to. She's like, I can't believe she said that. And I was like, eh. But she did literally serve Blue Nun at the party. So I learned a lot anyway from. <laughs> It wasn't from a lie. Uh, with that. So, yeah, so I had, I started, wow. so I'd been blogging just over a year when I started Baggage Reclaim. And mm-hmm. I basically still worked. I was still, I was still an employee. I started writing full time. So that's like January, end of January 2008. So, yeah, I, I basically ha- had a blog for a good chunk of the time that I was working. Um, Incredible. And then I decided to exit out of there and and people thought i was crazy by the way when i said Mm. hey i'm gonna leave like my stable job you know in Mm. it publishing and i'm gonna go off and i'm gonna have a go at running my blog full-time i mean they were pissing themselves laughing like for (laughs) for a decade my old director i saw my old director like 
it's probably over it was probably about five years ago and maybe a little bit even more than five years we were gathering because a, a old colleague of ours had passed away and he said oh you know you you know you've always got a job you know if things don't work out i said i've left the company over 10 years like he'd still had it in my head like i had this little thing going on with oh a blog, my goodness sort of thing and you're, like, oh, you're still doing that yeah 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 it's like you're that girl my mama called my work a hobby only <laughs> last year <laughs> wow wow oh no 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 i don't even tell do they know personal no well it's one of those things though i don't think many people kind of understand the whole concept of blogging and like online work i guess no because not everyone can not everyone can make a career out of it no or maybe that, they can just depend on and how I, uh, yeah yeah and i think people i think people are always surprised one i've been blogging for as i said 17 and a half years i mm. have been making a living from um and a, and a, and a good living um from it for i mean I, I left my job as i said i think january 2008 so i mean that's uh, yeah I'm, I'm losing track of all the am i nearly 13 14 years yeah self-employed mm-hmm. and i think people are often shocked by that and of course i'm not running around saying to people oh yeah leave your job because mm. you know it's not it, yeah i'm not going to say oh, it was like easy straight out mm. the gate or anything like that um, but I also think people just don't, no matter, I know people kind of carry on like, oh, influencers blogging, like everybody knows about it. But honestly, if I say to people, oh, you know, what I do or how long I've been doing it, they go, oh, so are you going to write about me on your blog later on? It's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, number like, one, oh, you can write about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number one, who said you made the cut, dear? Are you that yeah. interesting that I'm going to write about I'm you? Saying. Mm, I'm saying. I think not. I think yeah. not. Okay, so... Um, generation don't get it either. No. Oh, yeah, no. No, no, no. no. I've never no. talked to my parents about the fact that I blogged. Never. You haven't? No. Because they, they just about know that I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> I know that they, my mum's either going to start sharing it with the aunties, like, send it through the WhatsApp groups, and I'm going to be like, nah, that, that's not my audience. Like, I really am not writing for them. So I would rather you didn't do that. Or they're just going to be like, why are you wasting your time doing this? Like, who looks, who yeah. reads this stuff online? I just, they don't, they don't get it. And I really can't be bothered to start mm-hmm. explaining it. Yeah, That's my family, like, yeah, my family do. Well, I say most of them know. So most of them don't get it, get it. My mom, though, because she's been like divorced from my stepfather now for I don't know, probably fourteen years or whatever. So she's had to do some dating in that time. And I discovered oh. that on occasion, when my mom has wanted to dump somebody, there was one guy who was messing her around, and she, he basically turned up one day, and she sat him down at the kitchen table, opened up her laptop and played like some old ass video of me on YouTube, basically <laughs> like talking about like Mr. Unavailables. And he was like, okay, I'll get my coat now and I'll leave. <laughs> so you Amazing! Call him out. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. Oh, I love that. I bet he hates you now. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. I was like, mom, oh, please don't Natalie. be bringing my name into things. I like, take my name out your mouth. <laughs> So oh funny. my gosh! So, so a lot of your work was about, um, well, is about 
people pleasers and stuff mm. like that. So would you be able to give us kind of like a definition because there's people pleasers thinking, oh, okay, it sounds quite nice. I'm pleasing <laughs> people. I'm being nice. I'm being helpful. Mm. It's all like Disney over here. Um, yeah. Tell us, what is what is the definition of a people pleaser? Well, a people pleaser for a start is somebody who... They use what they think is pleasing people to feel needed and purposeful and worthy. And so what they do is they suppress and repress their needs, desires, expectations, feelings and opinions and put everybody else's ahead of theirs so that they can gain attention, affection, approval, love and validation or to avoid conflict, criticism, stress, uh, disappointment, loss, rejection or what they might call abandonment. And so they, they go around doing things often unconsciously because it's such an entrenched habit, but often as well, sometimes quite consciously pretending to be something that they're not telling people what they think they want to hear going along with Mm. things in the hope that it will create this tipping point where somehow at some point it's all going to blow back and they're going to get their needs met. They're going to get what they want. And Mm. also because they think, well, I'm doing all of these pleasing things. So there's not really any reason for anybody to take issue with me. Mm. And it's a really subtle thing, but it it is something that can permeate, you know, a lot of our life and our interactions and can wreak havoc really with not just our well-being, but with our relationships as well. So when you say mm. it can wreak havoc, what is like the worst case scenario? Like what can it end up doing to people pleasing others all the time? Well, burnout, which is a term that we've had a lot of you know, over, particularly during the pandemic, but I think over recent years, if you experience burnout, you have to be people pleasing in the first place because you're, you're misappropriating your energies. It's like, oh, I have to try and treat myself like a machine, be and do all the things, you know, be all things to all people. And so you miss those signals from your body because you're not listening to yourself. So you burn Mm. out because Mm. it's like, you're trying to be the solution to problems that you didn't even create in the first place. Mm. And so burnout is a biggie. You also find as well with people pleasing because it's suppressing and repressing yourself. At some point, you're either going to implode or you're going to explode. So Mm. when you implode, that is the breakdown or burnout, you know, feeling depressed, feeling low, experiencing some sort of health crisis, because, you know, Mm. we're not disconnected from our bodies. We can't treat ourselves in this way and not start to feel the stress of it. Mm. But you can also go the other way and you explode. And that's how a lot of people pleasers finally end up really having to confront themselves because they unleash on somebody. It's like one day they just tip over the edge and Mm. it's that after everything I've done for you kind of Mm. thing and how Mm. could you do this and la la la. It's also as well that, you know, aside from, and those things are big, but we go around and we people please and that takes a toll on us because we're suppressing and repressing ourselves. And then we Mm. anaesthetize ourselves against all of this people pleasing because we're trying to shove all of this stuff down and pretend it. We put this smile on our face we seem like we're cool and okay but Mm -hmm. inside we feel very differently and then we're hurting so what are we going to try and do with all this stuff so this is where you see people eating too much drinking too much exercising too much working too much something too much to anaesthetize themselves against the pain of this people pleasing i think in the most 
sort of extreme, and I mean, burnout, you know, the breakdown, those are pretty extreme as well. But because people pleasing is telling people what we think they want to hear and sort of crafting these personas, like it's some people please is very much about keeping up appearances, this appearance of being good. I'm a good person. I'm just trying to be a good person. Everything is about giving this illusion of okay. Some people are they're about efforting. So they use efforts to prove themselves, to be the best, to keep up. You know, it's like if I am constantly striving and driving and I'm always seen to be trying, I'm never seen to be lazy. This is how you burn out, man. Some mm. people it's with saving, helping, you know, rescuing. Some mm. people it's like they just literally, it's like they're trying to like blend into the surroundings and they avoid discomforting others and discomforting themselves. And some people it's like, you know what? The more I suffer, the better I am as a person. It's like, <sighs> oh my, my gosh. Yeah. So there, there are some people who it's like me suffering over my relationship, suffering over all these things I do for people is a sign of what a good person I am. And these every people are often would definitely have, if people please, it definitely does one of those or sometimes does a couple of them. But mm. it this whole persona thing, Causes us to kind of live a double life. We can be very passive aggressive. And mm. on top of that, some people get really caught up in this persona. And there's a very, very fine line. You know, this whole like wanting to please others and manipulating others. Like yeah. using the fact that you've done good things. And the next thing, you know, it's like, well, after everything I've done for you, and it's like, oh, hold on a second, mate. Yeah. I didn't know when you were doing those things for me. You were taking a you tally. Mm. Yeah. And that's what the thing is. And this is, I think, the thing that causes a lot of people pleasers to finally break away from the habit because you can't separate the manipulation aspect from people pleasing. It's not that we set out with shady ways, right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter yeah. is, is that we're using our goodness, we're using our pleasing to influence and control other people's feelings and behavior. That's what we're doing. Wow. And we can rationalize to ourselves, yeah, but at least I'm not being a shady person and forcing people to do stuff, right? But people pleasing is a problem because one, we pretend to be something that we're not. So then we have this mask on. That's a block to intimacy. We're not mm. really revealing ourselves. And two, we have a hidden agenda. Once you have a hidden agenda, you got problems. Mm. And people pleasing is always about having a hidden agenda of some sort. You're trying to get something or you're trying to avoid something. Wow. I'm blown away. Wow. <laughs> Me too. Because, do you know what? I actually thought I was a people pleaser. Like, I'm a recovered people pleaser. But to a certain extent, I guess there's different levels. But the whole, like, manipulation thing, like, I'm being nice, therefore I'm obviously going to get something back out of this, whether it's, mm -hmm. like, extra love or more attention, that kind of thing. I understand the manipulative side of that but not in a malicious way exactly because you're you're kind of just going out of your way to be extra nice because you're assuming you're gonna get it back and i guess sometimes if you're a people pleaser you attract a certain type of person That's not necessarily exactly. good and then there's the trouble is, then there's chaos <laughs> yeah if you always have to be the giver then you basically put everybody else in the role of taker. But mm. on top of that, when you yeah. go around with this hidden agenda, as well-meaning 
as you might be. And do you know what? I tell you something. Some of the most problematic people that you can deal with are the well-meaning ones, right? You know, there's, yeah. oh, they're just so well-meaning. They just don't mean any, mean any harm. They just want to be helpful. But then you're pussyfooting all over the this person's well-intentioned ways. Mm. You're tiptoeing around their good intentions because it's almost like, oh my gosh, I can't turn around and say no. I can't turn around and actually speak honestly because this person is going to be like, mm. but you're hurting me because look at how well-intentioned I am. And mm. I'm like, actually, mm. we, you're absolutely right that the overwhelming majority of the time it's people pleasers. We are not going into this from a malicious place. Like the idea that somebody would be hurt as a result of something that we're doing would only feed this, oh my God, this panic or whichever else. But it's mm. the why. Like I say to people, lots of people help others. Lots of people, you know, work hard. The difference between somebody who is a people pleaser, you know, doing it from that place and somebody who isn't is the why. It is the why and mm. how you feel that makes something people pleasing. Mm. If you help somebody, but underneath that, there is this sense of if I don't help them, then I am not going to feel safe. I'm not going to belong anymore. They're not going to mm. like me. Or if I help them, then maybe they're going to turn around and do this and then they're going to think of me this way and blah, blah. That's not a healthy why. Mm. And mm. whereas somebody else who is aware of their intentions and is like, you know what? This is the bandwidth that I have. I'm aware of my boundaries. I am not trying to drive my worthiness from this person. I already know my worth and I already know my boundaries can help you out and knows how to stay in their lane. When people pleasers, you know, that we go around and we do our helping, we just become subsumed mm. by the other person and, mm. and we get carried away and it's like, we can't just help. We've got to take over. We've got to be the solution. Right. And, uh, yes. Too much sometimes. Yes. Yes. Mm. I think, yeah, I can definitely relate to, to that. Like, just taking over and like okay i'll just do everything to help out and sometimes i'm like you know what you are here for this don't say just keep quiet just 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 yeah. don't you don't need to go above and beyond because you're 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 okay as it is you're enough you're enough yes. but what i was saying about people and sort of attracting people because i've been in situations where I've or some other people, let's not use me as an ex example. You people please to survive because you know in that situation mm -hmm. it's a I guess a conditional relationship. And you're only in that relationship because the person actually wants you to be a people pleaser and hey, is gaining man. something from that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's when um well, me personally, people pleasing, yeah, just had to stop because I just realised all the relationships around me, um, mm -hmm. they were benefiting from me people pleasing and, yeah, didn't want me to stop. And it was a bit of a shock when I did. <laughs> That's your um, people pleasing entourage. So you know like how you, oh. see, um, you, know, you see these celebrities like your Britney's, your Whitney's, you know, your Michael's, whoever, but also that, you know, celebrities have like an entourage, people around them. Mm. And you like to think that you have people around you who have your best interests at heart and they call you out, like if you were doing something that wasn't in your best interest. Yeah. But when, mm. when you have enablers around you and when you have people who actually rely on you being a, for instance, people pleaser, they're not going to turn around 
and say, oh, hey, hey, that's too much. You don't need to turn around and do that. They were like, yeah, 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 keep coming, keep it coming. And so mm. you find with people pleasers find it difficult to be around people who don't really seem to want to take too much from them. Like sometimes actually, like, you know, I've heard stories from people pleasers who they're around somebody who is actually being you know, respectful towards them and they feel confused <laughs> because they're used to sort of this, this jumping through hoops and feeling uncertain. So then they're like, what the hell's wrong with this? Like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and so what can happen with people pleasers is that because of our hidden agenda, we're quite ripe for the narcissistically inclined and, Eek. you know, people who, yeah, they want to be shady because they take advantage of our need to be needed or us deriving our worthiness from whatever it is that they're doing. And they exploit that. And because we're willing to exploit ourselves, this is, you know, before we're in recovery and people pleaser mode, because we're willing mm -hmm. to exploit ourselves, we are, yeah, we, we, we get, end up being drawn to and drawing in people who are willing to exploit us. Like one of the things I say is that the work, like the working world, the system of work is actually built on people pleasing. And if all people pleasers cut back even a little, the system of work would collapse literally mm, wow. because it is based on people not knowing their boundaries. It is based on the system of work is exploiting the people pleasers fear of not complying, the mm. people pleasers fear of getting into trouble. And if you take out work and then you insert in somebody who is narcissistically inclined at best, right? They again, exploit that sort of, do you like me? Do you need me? Do you want me? Do you think I'm worthy? They love all of that. And mm. when they see that we respond to that sort of that bit of uncertainty and that we actually don't turn around and say, whoa, Hold up a second, dear. That's enough. I'm stopping right here. They go, okay, this is a great target because we don't have bound, like we don't have the appropriate boundaries. And so the more, what happens is they keep taking, 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 and we're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. throwing it all out. Mm. A friend of mine was saying to me, oh, you know, she's seeing this guy. He is shady as hell. I've literally said this to her since day <laughs> one. And at the beginning, he was all charm. And she said, I don't understand. Like in the beginning, he was like so lovely and charming and funny. And he just wanted to see me all the time. And now it's like, I like, I hardly see him and he doesn't really make the effort. And I said, yeah, but gradually over time, he's worked out that he still gets that same level from you for a mm. fraction of the effort. Mm. Yeah. That's why if he doesn't mm. have to make that effort with you, if he knows he ain't going to get no boundaries from you, why does he even need to try? Mm. It's so true. Wow. Oh my wow. god, can we teach you this stuff in school, man? This is they like do. crazy. They should. And, and you know what? It's they so should. good for the other people because I, I wouldn't consider myself a full time people pleaser. I'm more mm -hmm. of a part time, like side hustle people pleaser. Um, so <laughs> I, I might do it and i think I do, I do do it from time to time when i just think you know what it's easy enough to just like do this um but i see in other people what i feel is them being overly controlling and i'm like what's wrong with them mm -hmm. just like just let it go let me help you and they won't let me help them this is in the workplace that i'm talking about 
yeah mainly um they want to control everything they want to take credit for everything they want to be seen as the person who's driving initiatives and and the person that you can't let go of because they're so crucial to this mm. particular project and i'm like but you don't need to do that. Like there's a whole team of people around you. I want to help you. I want to yeah. lighten the load because I can see you on emails at 12 o'clock at night. Like you're sending yeah. people emails. You're you're proving even more that you're doing the most. And I, I just, yeah, I, I want to understand more about what I can do as somebody who sees that in a people pleaser. Like what, how can I help them to release themselves from the shackles of, people pleasing well I, I, the funny thing is is you're perceived as a threat yeah by <laughs> that by that person ironically you're there oh. going oh, hey can i but they're perceiving you as a threat because you know they're what i would call like the efforter type of mm. people pleaser where mm. they need to be seen to be making an effort it's not just enough to be like i'm a good person i'm a good person like some other people pleasers would be like where they just want to give the appearance, even if they're basically, you know, up to all sorts behind the scenes. An effeter <laughs> okay. needs to be letting you know, like, mm. hey, I've been online at this time of night. Like, I did these things. I got the receipts. Like, they mm. want that to be known. And so what can happen is, you know, I've, I've spoken to a number of people who are in management. And when they have said to somebody who is a people pleaser, oh, hey, uh, you don't need to be in till this time or working so late or you know go they get all like oh my god like all panicky do you don't you don't want me to work oh my god am i am i going to be fired blah, blah, blah. and mm. what was actually quite interesting is when a manager actually spells out to a people pleaser look i want you to be able to flourish at work mm. i want you to be able to succeed but i don't want it to be at the expense of your well-being so when mm -hmm. I see that you are online for several hours at a time, sometimes into the middle of the night, it concerns me because that's not what we need from you. We really mm. appreciate and value you. We want you to work within right. the world. So change of, the perception of what they feel they need to do in order to please. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, because, because the thing is, is with people pleasing, what ends up happening is, what can happen to people please is we just get into you know like what Sarita was saying like where you just turn up and then it's like you just take over and you start doing all the things you don't really actually think about what you're doing and whether it's mm. relevant to the situation mm. so people pleasers often get very carried away where even though the situation does not actually call for them to be doing that level they just go at that level because there's this fear they have a fear that oh my god somebody's going to turn around tomorrow and be like you're out you don't mm. deserve this job. Somebody else mm. is better. So, so the thing is, is that if they haven't received enough clear messages that this is not the type of environment that they're working in, that this isn't what's needed, they just keep doing it and doing it and doing mm. it. And then they mm. hate the job and they start blaming you. <laughs> and then they might, they might perceive you when you turn around and say, oh, hey, can I help? Oh, she's trying to steal my job. Mm. She's trying to screw me. And it's so it's all about culture as well. Like something that I, I, I say to, to people who are in, you know, in, in any sort of level of management or leadership position is that actually part of your job is understanding who are the people pleasers in your midst and mm. really clearly communicating with them about what's expected. And that actually when you turn around and say you don't need to do that, it's not a criticism. It's actually about respecting your bandwidth because mm. somebody who works in that way is going to leave the company. 
soon enough or collapse from burnout or, or some that, yeah. and they'll be like oh they didn't appreciate me no mate you burnt yourself out mm. you were maxing yourself out exploiting yourself mm. wow Whew. so if you are um a self-proclaimed um, people pleaser is, is there some kind of work that you can do like i hear terms thrown around like shadow work or um, life work what or boundaries how would a people pleaser even begin so it's interesting because earlier on you said about how you 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 realize that a lot of people will sort of be like oh people pleaser that sounds like something that i might be and you might be like a some people will perceive it as a badge of honor mm. um some people will be like some people have a sense that they're people pleasers but they don't really quite know what it means and some people are like Oh, yeah, you know, I'm an empath, I'm a people pleaser, you know, it's just how I am, you know, sort of resigned to it. And so the thing is, what I say to people is, of course, people pleasing covers, you know, all people pleasers work to a lot of the same things, but our own specific brand of it is is our brand. And so what I ask, what I encourage people to do is really observe their life for a week to notice how do you spend your yes, no, and your maybe. Now, a people pleaser, it depends. You know, because some people, they just people please them morning, noon and night. Like if you put them in a police lineup, they wouldn't be able to pick themselves out from a doormat because right? they just wouldn't be, be able to see themselves. Some people, it only like gets activated, for instance, at work, like what you were saying earlier, like mm. where that's but some people, the people pleaser in them seems to kind of get set off uh with family or just very specific situations so you have to understand is this like a blanket thing is it mm. something that's very specific to is it to romantic relationships is it to friendships is it to family how is this manifesting because when you observe your life for a week and you do it without judgment so it's just like how am i spending my days like how am i spending my bandwidth basically you will see where you avoid saying no. You will see where anxiety shows up. You will see your people-pleasing entourage. You will see that there's certain people that when their name comes up on your phone, you're like, oh, jeez. Oh. Like you're mm. pushing the phone away. Mm. Or if you're managing to be in an office wherever you are or in a store or wherever it is you work, you see them coming and you're like, oh, God, like, what the hell do they want? Now? You know that person, you just know they want something from you. Mm. And those are th these things are telling you something about where your people-pleasing is showing up. It's noticing... The people pleaser feelings, as I call them, anxiety, resentment, a sense of obligation, guilt, feeling overwhelmed, um, burdened, powerlessness, helplessness. These feelings are those people pleaser feelings. They tell you that you've been doing what might be, for all intents and purposes, good things, but for the wrong reasons. So noticing where those feelings are showing up in your week, noticing where who you struggle with no around, where you say it almost automatically without any consideration of yourself, <laughs> you know, paying attention to like, what is it that's stressing you out in your week? Like, where does the exhaustion set in? You will soon see, oh, here's an opportunity for me to insert a bit more no into my life. Because mm. a lot of people are like, well, I'm only going to be able to do that thing, you know, the particular aspiration that they have a goal or whatever. I can't do that until I've healed myself so i sorted out all my baggage mate listen 
We all have emotional baggage. We will have it all the way up until the moment we breathe our last breath. Now, we do not have to carry it all with us along the way. We need to learn how to let go. And the way that we let go is by having better boundaries. And that's by being more authentic with our yes, no, and maybe. Like when, as a people pleaser, if you think about who it is you actually want to be, like forget about who everybody else wants you to be. When you think about your own values, what's important to you, the things that matter. When you align with that, instead of performing at your idea of what a good person is or a good worker or a good wife or a good mother, you close that gap between the two and you're closer to who you are. Because here's an example, you know, I was talking, I was on somebody's podcast a few months ago and she was like, oh my God, I've just realized I go around and I tell people that I will go along to something. So they invite her to events. And she already, by the time it's exited out of her mouth in the back of her mind, she's thinking, okay, I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to cancel this thing. And she's already like, <laughs> and she, she said that she has now got a reputation for being flaky and unreliable. And it was when we were talking on a podcast, she said, oh my God, this has suddenly hit me. She says, I'm not actually a flaky or unreliable person. But in that moment, I like to make people feel good. And so when they invite me, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll make them feel good. And I'm like, yeah. And then you literally, it exits your mouth and you're already thinking about what excuse, what story you need to come up with to get out of it. Mm. And so when she realized, oh, I don't want to align with being a flaky and unreliable person, but actually I'm somebody who values my relationships. That mm. was when she found it possible to like she said actually stop saying yes automatically now when people invited the stuff she says let me get back to you mm. that gives her time to kind of get a sense of her actual calendar and go back and say no i can't make it or yes i can't make it or, or yes i can make it but it's aligning with who you actually are not this image that you're trying to portray to others because mm. that's how you exhaust yourself. Like this is how you burn out as a mother or as a worker or as trying to be somebody's, you know, partner is you're aligning, you, you try to be what you think is the perfect version, the best version of being a mother or work or whatever. And then you perform at that. Mm. Stop the performing, man. Mm. Be yourself. Mm. Yeah. And I guess if you're in a right relationship, whether that's mm -hmm. um, partner or friendship or whatever, mm -hmm. if you are not able to make it, that's okay. That should be 100% okay. Amen. And the thing is, <laughs> if you turn around and you say no for whatever, bear in mind, people, Even if you don't no, want to, simply just because you don't want to. Mm. Now, if you turn around and you say no to somebody and they flip their wig on mm. you, right? That's just telling you that your no is overdue, mm. right? That, that, that it's so foreign for you to say no oh. to this person that that's why they're flipping their wig. If you feel guilty, when you say no, it's not because the no is wrong. It's because you saying no is so foreign to your own body that it sends up this rush of feelings, this sort of panic, like, oh my God, guilt, because you're not used to considering your own needs, desires, expectations, feelings, and opinions. But nobody is entitled to your yes. And if you're not saying yes authentically, mm. you're saying it fearfully, you're saying it avoidantly, you're saying it resentfully, and that leads to far more problems than if you just said no in the first place. And this mm. is the thing I think that people really grasp, like people pleasing makes you into a liar. Mm. 
And most people, most, not all, are uncomfortable with being liars. But the thing is, when you turn around, oh, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Inside, you're like, yeah, bitch, blah, 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 blah. Because that's, that's what happens. It. Well, yeah, like, you build up that resentment they turn around against and they're like, people. And they don't even know yeah. that you're, you've got that resentment. It's all based on your behavior towards them. That's the reason why yeah, you like, don't like someone, because they're making you say yes all the time. You don't want to say yes, but you're saying yeah. yes. And yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. Like the resentment, the guilt, and obligation. Those three things are the hallmarks of people pleasing. And mm. I say, as soon as if you do something from a place of guilt or obligation, it is guaranteed to lead to resentment. And the thing is, you know, people come along and they're like, "Oh, hey, can you do blah blah blah? Do blah blah blah?" And in you go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." In your head. Mother, beep, beep, why are they turning around and ask me this thing? Don't they realize that I ain't got this time? Don't they realize how much things I've got going on in my life? Who do they think they are? How many things do I have to do before people realize I'm a person with my own needs? Mm. The thing is, we are the stewards of our bandwidth. We're the mm. keeper of our needs, the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, right? If people do not know what our <laughs> position is, if they don't know what our boundaries are, it's because we haven't communicated it. Yeah, it doesn't mean that we're absolving anybody of their stuff. But the thing is, we, we hide behind this thing of, well, people should just know, right? People should know how to behave the damn selves, and they should know that they shouldn't be asking me this thing because they've already asked me for loads of things already. And it's like, mate, you are responsible for your boundaries. Mm. And so, yes, in an ideal world, people who've already typically asked you to do stuff in an ideal world, I think to themselves, oh, do you know what? I've asked Natalie to do quite a few things. So, uh, do you know what? I'll go and ask somebody else. That's not how it works. That is not <laughs> how we work. <laughs> so it is our job to communicate these these things. And it was, like you said, there's this resentment. And say, like, oh, this person, you're making me say yes. No, they're not. You're making you say yes. Like, mm. I've often behaved like me turning around and saying no, like Armageddon is going to happen. And the thing mm -hmm. I encourage people to do is to to say no when they need, want to, or should, and then to get up and open their front door or look out the window. And what you discover <laughs> is the world is still turning. It's not dust, ash, flames, <laughs> you know, the whole world gone to hell outside. Everything is just fine. And we need to do these things that like look out the window, check ourselves. Because the thing I say as well is, you know, those feelings that come up when we feel uncomfortable around saying no, like our nervous system remembers everything. And mm. our subconscious, you know, has stored all of the events that we've had in our life. But our subconscious is based like, back in like those early years. Like for me, I'm 44. Mine's based back in the 80s. Michael Jackson was black <laughs> back then. <laughs> it was Frizzy perms and jerry curls and amazing music and a lot more sugar in our food. Mars bars were much bigger back then. You know, yes. that's one of my pet peeves about how yes. small Mars. I mean, they're just taking pure liberties, right? So a lot of things were different back in the 80s. Right? Now, when I'm running around and I'm carrying on as if, like, my, my body is, like, at, reacting as if, Lord of mercy, like, bad things... I'm carrying on like it's back in the 80s. I'm a 44-year-old woman. A mm. lot has changed mm. since those early years yeah. in my life. So I have to make myself aware. Yeah, my mom, she, she cussed me out on my own birthday this year. <laughs> right in my yard, right? <laughs> Took me out for a nice old birthday meal. Told me what an amazing daughter I was. And an hour later, she's cussing me. 
you know our parents man they just love to mm. switch it up on us <laughs> and i was i actually i was like laughing to myself like when she's like kicking off at me and then i was like i just basically i just turned around to her because she, she started up a whole thing like with my my 14 year old daughter you know when they have a misunderstanding you nip it in the bud one one minute later but they still want to talk about it one hour later <laughs> yeah and i was like she's like why are you involving yourself in this and i was like this is my house <laughs> right that's my daughter and it is my birthday and <laughs> i have said that i don't want to talk about this anymore and she looked she actually said to me like a couple of months later i couldn't believe it when you turned around and said this is my house i said yeah but it is i said there has to be like uh, uh, enough's enough because mm. in our cultures as well you know in african and caribbean culture they want to make it a child to your dying day yep, if there's an elder around. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. And, and it's easy to start forgetting yourself. Mm. And it's not that I'm like, oh, well, I'm 44, so I'm going to cuss all of you out. Listen, I have a great respect for my aunt. <laughs> but they take the piss. Sometimes, I hope they never listen to the podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They <laughs> won't, they won't. It's fine. <laughs> but you... you the thing is, is that you actually do have to remind yourself that you're a grown-up because it's so easy to forget this. And mm. the interesting thing is that something I, I say is that, you know, we all grew up in what I call the age of obedience, you know, where mm -hmm. parenting and the interacting mm -hmm. with children was all about making them compliant, mm. making them, you know, yes. excessively obedient, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. everybody yes. was an awful, like elders authorities and the thing is as a child anybody who we perceive to have power over us is somebody that we consider to be an authority mm. and a lot of those people abused their power mm. and what's happened is that mm. we have been taught to be unconditionally compliant mm -hmm. and now we are yep. adults and then we go into work you know where you have a boss situation or you have to work you know alongside people and it brings up those same feelings from when you're growing up like whether you're at, whether it was at home or at school. And that's why we end up with these very, very confusing and complex feelings coming up around work, around anybody that we perceive to have power over us because of like, oh my God, I've got to do as I'm told, or I'm going to get into trouble. Mm -hmm. This fear of retaliation, mm -hmm. like I'm going to get beaten any minute now if I don't basically <laughs> go along with what other people want. Mm -hmm. So we have to be aware of this conditioning and we have to be aware of even how our culture, you know, our upbringing, influences us into being people pleasers because mm -hmm. you know one of the things I, I you know i've been working on a book called the joy of saying no and what i realized is actually you know culturally there are certain cultures who are will most definitely be more predisposed to being people pleasers mm. because it was people pleasing is a survival mechanism mm -hmm. but i think as yes. well culturally like for instance in african and caribbean culture it's like you need to please people for survival and you need to be the good black person because mm -hmm. you don't want to be one of those difficult ones mm -hmm. and so they control yeah. our hygiene yeah. you know mm -hmm. it's like cream yourself you, you must don't be frowsy not that we're wanting to be frowsy or anything like that but it's like <laughs> yeah you, you, they control every, your hair your skin everything because it's like nothing can be out of place because you don't want anything to be questioned by people and mm. then it's like you've got it's to work true. hard and they want you to get the degree and they want you to get the the doctor lawyer engineer accountant that type mm -hmm. of job you know you turn mm -hmm. around and say, i want to be a dancer just hell you talking about you want to be a dancer go and get a proper <laughs> job type of thing you know and we are conditioned into this because it's like this is how you advance yourself in in our culture mm. because 
this is how and, and as as humans that's what we want to do we want to elevate our status that's a, a, a primary need it's what we're all pursuing in some way mm. so culturally certain like eastern european culture there is that sort of strive work hard don't take a rest you know just earn as much money as possible and, and send it back home you know mm. type of thing so of course certain cultures predispose you to being yeah a people pleaser and one that burns out mm. you know in the process of it as well yeah mm. Yeah, it's funny you say that because, um, as I said, former people pleaser, um, I always used to be frightened or just didn't know how to speak to people, anyone older than me. I know it comes from now, like what you were talking about. So it was just like, I kind of had this thing where I believed I was shy because I just didn't know how to speak to people that were older than me. As soon as I found out, even if it was six months i'd be like right are they you're above are they below i don't know figure it out so it was definitely like <laughs> that fear of getting in trouble and it's like just in my stomach just a normal day nothing's happened oh, i've got that feeling where i'm gonna get in trouble i haven't done anything but <laughs> so yeah it's it's taken a lot to get out of that kind of people pleasing but people pleasing for survival as you said as a child otherwise you're getting licks from here to there just because you've said no to something that you didn't know you weren't allowed to say no to so if you're an adult who has kind of carried that fear and you realize oh I'm nearly 40 now how what would you do to just stop being a people pleaser because obviously if you're going to say no for the first time and as you said things are going to kick off (laughs) how how should you even start well, one of the things I say to people is there is this temptation once you realize, like, oh, my God, I've been a people pleaser and people have been taking advantage and taking liberties. Right. There can be this temptation to want to clamp down and mm. be like, right, you know, you want to almost fire off all the people pleasing, like no more people pleasing bullets. Like, I'm taking it out everybody. I pay back time to everything. <laughs> and then, of course, <laughs> you're like, just like, no, all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, and I get it because it feels like overdue and you're just like, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just want to unleash however we don't really tend to feel that good afterwards like at the time mm. we might feel like a little bit high off all of that mm. but one if we go in there all guns blazing and have this sort of attitude of oh my god like i've been doing all this stuff right everybody you know has been taking liberties we were gonna sort of over egg it and i did this you know i remember cussing out a few people like at the start of mine because i was so afraid of somebody taking something from me, mm. screwing me over mm. or irritated that resentment bubbling up. Mm. And so what I recommend people do is don't go in, unless it's unavoidable, don't go and start with the biggest thing first. Mm. Yeah? That doesn't mean you go and take it out on the low hanging fruit, the people that you think are easy going, who was, cause that's the other extreme that people go to. They go, oh, well, I'm too afraid to deal with the big stuff. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll just like use all of my nose up on those really sweet people who don't normally give me any trouble anyway. So <laughs> you, you don't have to start with the biggest thing. But what I encourage people to do is like, where are some small examples of where you can say no? Like for instance, the amount of people pleasers who don't return things like to, for instance, oh the, you know, that you've they've purchased or that don't say, Hey, mm. actually I ordered this and you've brought this to the table instead. Mm. That's an example of a small <laughs> way that you can. T- <laughs> Sarita squirming like in her chair. Making a face. 
making a face, Triggers. making them uncomfortable. Triggers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are like some like find some small small like the thing I say to people is don't try to do everything at once. Like mm. pick something and have a go at doing that a few times and and sitting with it. Like I say to people, don't go off the first reaction that people have. Like if I based my boundaries around, for instance, how family reacted the first time, I wouldn't have boundaries today. But mm -hmm. the thing is, is that f people who are used to your old boundaries, it often takes you consistently, you know, saying no, or just being, when I say saying no as well, no isn't necessarily a verbal thing. Sometimes it's just how you conduct yourself that makes mm. it clear, oh, well, that's not going to be possible there. And so you have to keep consistently doing it. Otherwise, if you say no, you don't get the response that you want. So then you back off. You're sending very, very mixed messages to people. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to, a handy thing with people pleasing is to distinguish between desire and obligation. So the example I always use for this is your parents might want you to come around three times a week, but maybe you only want to go around once a week or you only want to go around there once every two weeks, right? So if your desire is to go there, for instance, once every two weeks, but you're going there three times a week, every week, that gap between the desire and the obligation is where the resentment and the frustration build. Mm. So then you know, okay, how can I move myself closer to somewhere either to the one time or to somewhere between the two? Because if you keep forcing yourself to do something, from a place of obligation, like, can you turn it into a want? Like I say to people, okay, let's say they do want you to go there three times a week. If you're going there because you feel obliged, that's going to fuel resentment. Can you make, like, not make, but can you get to a place of wanting to go there three times? Like a conscious, autonomous choice, you're freely giving it. If you can't, you need to start phasing it out. Like you need to drop down two times a week, one time a week, or you need to turn around and say, hey, actually, it's too much for me to come around three times a week. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to pass this week and I'll see you next week on whatever day that it is. Mm. So it is identifying what it is that you want versus what you feel obliged to do. And if as well, you can't get to a place of wanting it and you genuinely feel like it's an obligation, there's no harm in actually communicating. This feels like something that I'm obliged to do. You'd be surprised. They'll turn around and go, no, 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 it's not. Because here's the thing. Most not all, but most people don't want you coming around doing something from a place of obligation. Yeah. They don't like mm. being made to feel bad. They don't like being made to feel guilty. But also when we do things from a place of obligation, we turn into Kevin the teenager. Mm -hmm. So you start dragging your feet, you know, when you go around yeah. there and you're kind of moody. And so mm. I, I have definitely been guilty of that. Where I force myself to go along something, I don't know, my family is monitoring, I'm, I'm doing something for my mom. And I haven't consciously, like an adult, chosen to do it. Instead of like, oh, well, I'm going to do it because she's going to be all moody with me. And then I go mm. around there and I am moody with her. Mm. And I'm, oh, no. And you can tell. Yeah. You can always yeah. tell when someone doesn't actually want to do it. You're like, yeah. you should have said. Yeah. And, and they don't. Like, and the thing literally. is, like, we need to be able as well to sit with other people's feelings. Like it is a low, it's a, we're not responsible for cotton wooling other people's feelings. Like it's okay for people to feel uncomfortable because we turn around and said no. And mm. we can actually need to be okay with saying no and let there be a bit of silence instead of no. And the moment it was like a pause, <laughs> do you know what? It's okay. It's okay. I, I'll find a way to do it. Like yeah. let there be a pause. It's that silence. That's so difficult to manage. That silence is a killer. 
that's the one that you need to be yeah. able to get comfortable with because that's when you get yourself into tricky situations. Well, I say to people like, it's that difference between hard, <laughs> it's that difference between hard no and a soft no. Like people think that be like saying, mm. no, I can't or no, thank you. They feel like that's a harsh no. So instead they go, do you know, I, I'd love to, but you know, I ain't got any clean drawers, my car broke down, and you know, my cat got stuck up a tree. Yeah, and, you know, creating these elaborate dinner, stories. But, but this whole story. <laughs> and the person's looking at you going, well, all I asked you was that, and so the only people who want that long ass, to, and that, who thrive on that, is somebody who wants to take advantage of you. Mm. So what I say to people is, keep it short. It doesn't, like, people think that short means abrupt, but people want the, the, the what is your answer first because sometimes we tell such a long ass story that the person goes wait are you saying yes or are you saying no because we have told them our whole and most people don't care about your life story they just want a yes or a no yeah, and so yeah. if, if we turn around and say no thank you or no I can't and, and I try to avoid saying sorry unless it's absolutely necessary because I find that mm. there's a fine line where people yes. try to apologize for saying no yeah say, yeah you know thank you for asking but I can't and I also say to people don't tell them that you would love to do it if you want because I'll come back and I'll ask you to do it again so don't say oh right. I would love to but I can't because you know my cat stuck up a tree because that person will come back and go well your cat's not stuck up a tree anymore and you said you still wanted to do it so hey do you want to do yeah. it yeah. So I or keep it they, short. They, yeah. they change the date as well. They'll change the yeah. date so you can come. Yeah. They'll give another yes. date. Oh. Yeah. So I yeah. say to people like like get to the point, tell them the, like give it some straight and then if after you've said that there's more of a conversation, then add the detail. But if you literally go into a conversation or you reply with this big long ass thing, you have nothing left afterwards. <laughs> You're exhausted and and spent Aww. out. So it like keep it it short. And the thing is as well is it's all as well about if you really genuinely value honesty, then I think it is a lot easier to start finding ways to cut back on the people pleasing. Because if you realize, oh hold on a second, inside I feel like, oh hell freaking no. I'm really <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. That's lying. Hmm. It, yeah. it, it might not be what we call like the bad lie. People like to break it. Oh, it's a bad lie. That that's not a bad lie. Like it's not like I'm Trump. It's not like I'm not like telling a lie. Like, <laughs> so, mate, like if you have to rationalize it to yourself in that way, you know you got problems. But hmm. it's like actually like think about the integrity of stuff. Like would do if if you weren't going to get what you thought you were going to get out of this situation, if you're going to do something and you weren't going to get what you're hoping to get out of this, and you wouldn't still go ahead, you should not say yes mm. you should say no Ooh, i love that like, if you're not it. gonna get whatever whatever the anticipated reward is whatever you hope on some level no matter how teeny tiny that's going to be if it would change what you're saying yes to you should not say yes mm. or you should be honest with the person and this is where the rubber hits the road because i say why don't you tell the person what it is that you're expecting here like what it what it oh no i couldn't do that but then you need to say no you're listening to Women Who Rebrand, honest and humorous conversations all about the natural and individual transitional phases people experience to grow, start over or rebrand to become their most authentic selves. Today, we're joined by writer, podcaster, speaker and artist, Natalie Liu. 
Natalie helps people pleasers, perfectionists and relationship strugglers overcome their emotional baggage so they can become more of who they really are. Check out her blog Baggage Reclaim at baggagereclaim.co.uk. You can find Natalie Lou on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> okay, so um, as we are nearly near Christmas, we're like three weeks away, mm-hmm. right? Um, lots of people are going to be in situations where they might be bringing home for the first time people that are in new relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um me and C were talking about Love Island, a show that I've never watched. Um, I, I don't watch it either. Problematic. Yeah, right? Just Awkward. problematic as F. But um, I came across a, a, a new, not, I don't know if it's new, a term called negging. Do I have you know oh, what yeah, that, yeah. that is? Negging's yeah, yeah, like being deliberately um, negative towards somebody you know like say basically using put downs as a way to manipulate the person it's like bring them down and then that person's a bit like oh yeah like what's the deal with that so it's like using that as a ploy to make them almost dependent on you and 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 make them start pursuing you type of thing yes so yeah which is quite manipulative and that's the whole thing yeah yeah this is completely new to me i never i've never heard of it in my life but you had some good dating obviously oh, yeah, things really. like you know but it but does remind you should have spotted me. it on the program mm, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember seeing it on love island maybe i wasn't lo- looking close enough but um I, it does remind me of when you were at school and the boys used to be mean to the girls that they liked but then it was mm. like a kind of that was always painted in a really fun positive way because it's yeah, just like light-hearted I've that problematic yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, oh, if he's horrible to you, that means he must like yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's like, lovely. Parents, please stop telling your kids that when somebody's mean to you, it's because they fancy you because you're just setting them up for a lifetime of confusion. Right. You know, and then they'll be, they'll be reaching out Literally. to me in 10, 20, however many years' time talking about, you know. But that's, that's when we make term. your blog available in six form. <laughs> this this nagging term has been around since uh for a lot for a while i think it was is it neil strauss wrote a book called the game or something like that there's whole like mm. websites forums dedicated to it's all like the art of it's all about manipulating typically women into mm. into bed and so there's all these tactics and nagging is one of them so and so it's it's it, it is it is very gross i mean it's this idea of of i mean put downs is you know like where uh, you know i think you know like you turn around so you're pretty nice for a black girl mm. <laughs> you know or you're pretty cool for a fat girl you know mm. that you know all this type of stuff that's an example of negging mm-hmm. yeah but then i guess if you've got like confidence issues you're like <gasps> well besides all that you still chose me so i'm the lucky yeah, one yeah they're gonna yeah. go in for people like that right yeah and the, the the i i liken it to uh, you know there's something i've i've written about on baggage reclaim called chopping and it's when somebody starts off li- chip 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 mm. chipping away with these little little comments little bits of feedback and you start off as this confident person and gradually this person chops you down and they're constantly chip 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 chopping away at you with these comments because they use that to make themselves feel really big Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you wake up one day and you have no you have no confidence left. 
like your wreck mm-hmm. and you now look to this person for definition and for your sort of sense of worthiness. So, you know, I, I tend to caution people, uh, look, if somebody's way of talking to you is by putting using put downs, is that somebody that you really want to be spending time around? Because mm. of all the things that somebody could be saying to you, this is how they choose to speak to you, mm. you know, and, and making digs at you. Is that really the way that you want to start or continue a relationship? Mm-hmm. So if you're you, you're in a family and again, one of your siblings or something has brought, you know, um, someone who uses nugging and they do it around the Christmas table. Mm. What could you possibly say to that person that doesn't, really understand or realize what's going on like red flag here but they don't see it yeah and and the diff- you know one of the things that can happen is sometimes uh, the person who's on the receiving end of it can be quite defensive about it because they mm. try to paint that person in a in a uh, positive light one of the things mm-hmm. that's very handy with people who make put downs you know who do this nagging is to ask what did you mean when you said and repeat verbatim exactly what it is that they said and this is something mm. that i i say to people that if you if you because one of the traps that we fall into as humans and particularly i think as people pleasers, is that sometimes we hear things that register and rather than ask what the person meant you know rather than query it we just go mm. through a whole internal monologue <laughs> thing and come up with our own thing mm-hmm. and i say actually why don't you ask that question? Like, what did you mean when you said, and repeat back as close to verbatim as possible what the person said, because then the person hears their own words coming back at them and how that potentially may have come across. And Mm -hmm. they either get to corroborate, they either turn around, well, I meant, oh God, geez, I just heard how that came out. I'm totally sorry. I didn't, I totally didn't mean for that to come out. Or they meant, stop being so sensitive. And immediately you can go, oh, so this is the flavor of person that we're dealing with because mm. obviously then if you turn around and you query somebody's put down and they turn around and make out that you're oversensitive that's gaslighting is dodgy so with somebody you know what you can turn around and say because people can be very they can feel like their back's a bit against the wall when you turn around and you make a comment about their partner because obviously they bring them home they want to impress but it can be hard when you love somebody to see this new person sitting there. So it's like, oh, hey, you know, I noticed earlier on when we were sat at the dinner table that they turn around and they said, uh, blah, 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 you know, and you repeat back, but what was the deal there? Because to me, it sounded like they were, duh, 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 duh. what did you think of it? Mm. And you kind of get a sense of sort of where they might be coming from on that and how they might be feeling. Some people might, and it, you really have to kind of gauge your audience. Like some people would bring that up literally at the table and like, hey, what kind of what do you mean when you said that literally there and under the table but you have to kind of know your audience and know because obviously what you don't want to do is if you turn around if you think you're dealing with somebody who's actually pretty shady what you don't want to do is say something like that and then that person takes it out on you know their target as such right or uses the fact that you made that comment to isolate you mm. from that because that's what they if somebody is in that sort of shady territory they'll mm. often try to divide and conquer yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so you have to kind of know know your audience and it has to be non-judgmental in the sense of like 
you can comment about that person's behavior, but without being like, oh my God, like, why are you going out? Because then they start to feel like, oh my God, like I'm having my, like you're attacking me type of thing. Whereas actually you, mm. you have to also be on the side of the, this, this loved one and be like, hey, you know, obviously, you know, your relationship and whatever, but I just wanted to, wanted you to, wanted to mention that I felt a bit uncomfortable when they turned around and said that. I don't want to interfere between you and them, but I felt like I should just make mention of that and make sure that you were okay. Now, they might not say anything about it then, but the next time that person turns around and says something, it's going to register and flag like, yeah. oh, hey, that's quite similar yeah. to the dinner table. Yeah. It's like Jedi mind tricks having to survive all this. Oh, gosh, it really you is. Know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the thing is, like, most, most people, like when we think about people who, you know, in our inner circle, you know, who we genuinely trust, they don't speak to us in those ways. So we don't have to sit there going, mm. Mm. But, but there are people out there who they do turn around and, and say stuff and you do kind of have sort of a bit of a head spin. And the thing that I encourage people to do is keep your feet firmly on the ground. Once you start saying to yourself, well, maybe I'm being sensitive. Maybe it's this, maybe halt, because that's the code red. Because mm. once you're saying that stuff to yourself, you're actually gaslighting yourself. Hmm. Never mind what anybody else mm. is doing. Once you start going, maybe I'm being too sensitive. Maybe I'm being needy. Maybe I'm being difficult. Maybe I'm a psycho. Maybe I'm blah, 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 blah. All of those are the code red alert. You are ignoring yourself. You are denying something just so you don't have to deal mm. with the reality of who this person is or what the situation is. <sighs> it's going to be a lot of people evaluating situations. This Christmas. I know, and at the best time, mm. yeah, Christmas. Mm. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, it can be an All right, so showdown this Christmas. <laughs> You're not my mother. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay, yes, I so am. before we go, <laughs> before we go, um, just um, a little bit of words of advice. Um, it's Christmas. There's gonna be possibly more difficult people um because you might be seeing family and you know if you're family i think um sometimes they like to take the piss even more yes it's that whole thing of not like seeing you as an adult or whatever some auntie who just sees mm. you as a two-year-old and you're actually like uh, i don't know 48 or something um as a, a self-proclaimed former people pleaser how could a people pleaser survive Christmas? Can I can I so, adapt can I adapt that question slightly oh, as well? All right, because to suit your needs. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, us part-time people pleasers have needs too. So, but the other thing that happens a lot at Christmas is that there's this whole split. Like, where do you spend Christmas Day? Do you spend it at one family or do you spend it at the other family? And, you know, you want to please both. So how do you manage that without making one family feel that they're worth less than the other? So there's that massive question that a lot of people are going to be struggling with mm. at Christmas, as well as the whole what Sarita's asked just generally dealing with people that you don't normally see on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, you know, one of my favourite quotes, I... I... I, be I believe it's attributed to Liz Gilbert, who says, family know how to push your buttons because they're the ones who installed them. Mm -hmm. Because oh. they're the ones that we grew up 
around. And mm-hmm. we have, I think a lot of our stress around Christmas, around family gatherings comes from having a picture in our mind of what family is supposed to be like. And this sense of obligation that we family must this, family must that, family should this, blah, blah, blah. We have these pictures of Brady Bunch, Cosby Show, and, <laughs> you know, various other uh, fa- you know, family ties. There's so many different families that we saw, sort of Fresh Prince, all these different families all gathered around at Christmas. And mm. if your family actually isn't really like that, you can have a lot of shame around your family and also anxiety. And so the thing, and what can happen as well is that you get around family and you regress. Like it's amazing how if me and my three brothers get together with my mom, you just see some childish shenanigans starting up. <laughs> and you're watching it going like, oh my God, like we're in our 30s and 40s now, like two Christmases ago. I mean, one of my brothers fell out with my mom and they've barely spoken since. But him oh, wow. and one of my middle brother, God, it was like being like teenagers again, like got into this petty ass argument then my mom gets involved and she's like oh you're picking on and it's like oh my god it's the same thing so you regress Mm. when you're around family suddenly you forget that you are however many years old or that you have all these different things that you've done that really reflect who you really are suddenly you have all these agendas and Mm. it's like oh i need to prove i'm the best Mm. or this person's had to get me and blah 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 so acknowledge the thing is we we try to kind of have hide from this stuff and then we have shame around it actually acknowledge your stuff around family and Mm. it's also about if you're going to spend time with your family then do it from try to do it from a place of wanting to as opposed to feeling obliged Mm -hmm. and if you and and i know that can be difficult because family is where we learned about obligation from and if you are going to spend time around family you've got to go around there and really strive to be a grown-up as opposed to if you go around there sort of in your child role and you now start acting like, I don't know, the over-responsible eldest sibling, that's, you know, my role in the family. And then, you know, you're, you know, then it's like you and the other sibling, I got this thing going on and you're competing. This, the frictions will start up and you will forget yourself. I think like things that I have found really, really beneficial is Know what your sweet spot is with your family. If you know that you can enjoy a couple of days with your family and it's great, but if you spend anything beyond that and it's Armageddon, why go and spend a week? Book your two days and get the hell out of there, right? (laughs) Or two hours. If if you know that actually all you're good for is a couple of hours or an afternoon, don't force yourself to be there any longer than that because you know there's going to be a showdown, right? It's going to be handbags Mm. at dawn, Fur coats flying, all like, why put yourself through it? So mm-hmm. think about what the sweet spot is. It could be as well that actually you can spend time with them, but if you know, like, I don't get into conversations really about politics or race, like with my mom. You know, unless, <laughs> you know, we're going to kind of keep it light, but I just kind of leave, don't, like, I either leave her to it or I'll have the conversation, but I won't feel the need to correct her. It'll just mm. be like, we're just having mm. like a back and forth. But if there's certain things that you don't want to get into, if you know you're tired of sitting down with Uncle Tom, who always turns around and starts at the same conversation, the same, you don't have to take the bait and you don't have to have the conversation. You can say, actually, hard pass. Mm. <laughs> I'm out. You go and mm. take us out. As soon as the conversation starts, up, oh, do you know what? I just realized I've got to go and make a telephone call. Or, oh, I'm going to go out and get myself a walk. Like, learn to remove yourself from situations rather mm. than taking, uh, taking that bait. I think as well, you know, I, I totally understand about how 
you know you can have in-laws and your own family and all these expectations and when you have kids as well then it's like oh we want to see the grandchildren like they feel like they have an ownership over your <laughs> your christmas because you have you know these grandkids mm. i've had to remind my mom that she's she's not the only grandparents and that actually mm. sometimes my husband would like to see some of his own family mm. at christmas time and that mm. also i actually turned around and i said i've spent like what am i 44 i think at the time i said to her i've done like some, something like 37 christmases with you i think you can afford to oh miss a christmas gosh. here and there yeah. <laughs> and break it down like that <laughs> wow yeah but you, but you, but you can and also because we realized that we this I realized that part of the stress was coming from acting as if we were children and feeling as if, oh, well, my mama said this or this one said that. So now we have to go and do that. And then we were like, actually, what do we want to do mm. for Christmas? What are the traditions that we want to establish? And <sighs> also, because you can't please everybody unless you all happen to live within proximity and you can go and do that. But I've heard from so many people already this year, there's been a lot of stress around that. And mm. it's like, actually, you can't please it. Sometimes it's going to be a year on, year off. Sometimes it's going to be, I'll see you this year. I'll see you next year. And the year after, we're just doing our own thing. And then we'll start the cycle <laughs> all over again. Mm. And, but you have to figure out, because some people, they really, really enjoy spending time with their family. Whoever you are out there, well done to you. Right? <laughs> but there's a lot of us, right, who it can be a source of stress. And, there's, mm. and, you know, we don't have to, you know, we do feel the shame about, oh, my God, like, I don't want to spend a whole load of time with my family. Acknowledge it. Own it. Because the more that you pretend that it's not there is the more you start making disingenuous decisions. Mm. If you own the fact that actually I really don't enjoy Spending time like I was honest with my mom a few years ago. I said, do you know what? I do enjoy the crack, but you like drama too much. I actually said to my mom, I said, you <laughs> love drama. You think that's a normal Christmas. I don't. And that's why you ain't going to see me every year. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Love it. I love it. Okay. So basically, um, just be honest. Just be honest. And do what yeah, you but do, don't leave right? it to the last minute, people. The, the thing is, right, we sit oh. on this stuff and we are stressing. We're, a lot of people have known from time. Some people back in April, some people back in January the 1st <laughs> knew that they did not want to spend this Christmas, right? And then what mm. do they do? They leave it until December 20 flipping second. And do you know what's going to happen? Mm. They're either going to be like, oh, God, well, it's December 22nd. I have to go now. Or mm -hmm. they're going to leave it till such a last moment that when they do turn around and say it's the thing that they've known that they wanted to say, the person mm -hmm. will be pissed off with them. Mm -hmm. And understandably yeah. so. And mm -hmm. listen, yeah. I have been guilty of that where you're just, you're leaving it, leave it. And so it's like, mm -hmm. no, do not leave it to the last minute. If you know you ain't going, then let them know. And keep mm -hmm. it brief. Because, you know, sometimes I want it, like you tell the big ass story. And I just started with, I can't make it. Silence. Oh, Okay. Rather than, um, so yeah, I can't make blah, 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 blah. and they're like, what, what, wait, wait, what? Mm. They don't. They go, okay. Mm. It's okay for them to be disappointed. Family, it's a lot. You're okay with just to you know to be disappointed mm. because at least you're in a more honest place, and they can get on with making their plans. If you, some families yeah. are like, oh, you, they don't understand the logistics of you going there. If it's gonna, you're gonna be twelve hours on the road. You've got to spend however many hundreds of pounds to get there, and it's gonna mess up your whole week. Be honest and say, look, I can't do that this time around. Mm. Mm. 
Oh, thank you, Natalie. I've been making notes. I'm going to use them to sort out my family situation, hopefully within the next couple of days, to give people plenty of notice. But massively yeah, yeah. appreciate that. And your time today. Thank you so much for spending all this time with us, telling us about the ways that we can manage our own people pleasing and help others with their people pleasing. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right. So that was Natalie Lou. You can find, um, where can we find you, Natalie? So website is baggagereclaim.co.uk or .com. And that's where you can find the blog, the podcast, my books, my courses. Uh, the best place to get a hold of me social media wise is Instagram, where I'm at Natalou. That's N-A-T-L-U-E. Yeah, that's where you can find me in both those places. Brilliant. Fantastic. Right. Okay. Well, both of you have a fantastic Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very good. It's peaceful as possible. It's awesome, right? Boundaries everywhere. Yeah, with the uh, as I've taken to call it the the Omarion variant. (laughs) Oh gosh, we spoke about that last week. Yeah, yeah. But Hmm. Omarion's making it very easy to um, come up with excuses. Although we're not we're not doing excuses. We're just going to say it. I said what I said. I'm not coming. Mm-hmm. And done. Do you know, that's very true All as well, you know, about how if people are really honest, last year when Christmas got cancelled as such, there's a lot of people who breathed a, a bit of a sigh of relief. They've been spared. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. I, for one, yeah. was one of them. Oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. Like, All right, taken then. care of. Put my feet wow. on my lips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Natalie. Take care. Thank you. Lots of love to you. Bye. Bye. Women Who Rebrand was brought to you by Sarita Fontaine and Chioma Olalea. If you like what you've heard and you want to hear us again, don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you usually catch your podcasts. We're available on all streaming platforms, including Google Podcasts, Spotify and Breaker.